0: I think it's really important to understand the why behind what you're doing. And I I don't think people push hard enough early in their careers, right? To say, wait, hold on, why am I doing it this way? Why are we selling it this way? Why is it set up this way? Why does it work this way, right? And I think like, first of all, that's a muscle. That you want to build earlier in your career right because you're going to use that throughout your career it's going to help you be smart it's going to help you elevate yourself your career your business your organization understanding the why behind the what
1: hello and welcome back to identity architects the InfoSum podcast that spotlights the incredible leaders in the media industry shaping the future of data-driven advertising I'm your host, Ben Chikedi, and this week I had the opportunity to sit down with Shiv Gupta, founder of U Digital, to discuss why education is a critical component of our industry, the demise of third party cookies, the rise of data collaboration and data clean rooms, and much, much more. Before we jump into that conversation, this is your reminder to hit that subscribe button so you'll always be the first to know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects drop. But without any further delay, here's my conversation with Shiv. <laughs> So one of the joys of doing this podcast is I get to meet new people for the first time and pick the brains of some of the fantastic individuals who are shaping the future of our industry. And today is one of those days I'm thrilled to be joined by Shiv Gupta, founder of U of Digital. Shiv, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here, Ben.
1: So for anyone who doesn't know you, can you give us a quick introduction to yourself, but also to U of Digital?
0: Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, my background, you know, for my entire career has been in the advertising space. Um, I, you know, started my career back in 2007, uh, at a little company called advertising.com, which, you know, uh, a lot of people actually don't know the brand anymore, but it was one of the original kind of pioneering companies of the ad tech and programmatic industry. It was actually bought by AOL, um, in 2004, for some like 400, 500 ish million dollars, which at that time was insane for this just unknown company doing some weird stuff with real time bidding, you know? So um, that was an awesome experience for me. Uh, you know, I was, it was part of AOL. So I was at AOL for about 10 years, uh, mostly in sales and sales leadership. I was at Critio running a sales, uh, sales team in the US. And then in 2018, I launched U of Digital, right? So the idea behind U of Digital and what we are today is, you know, I had a front row seat and I'm sure a lot of people experience this all the time. <clears throat> There's a lot of knowledge gaps across our space, right? There's a lot of knowledge asymmetry depending on, you know, where you sit, if you're at an agency, if you're at a vendor, if you're out on the buy side, you know, people have their own little bubbles of, you know, the, the ecosystem. They understand certain things, but the second they have to go outside those bubbles – it becomes challenging, right? There's so much out there to know about and to learn. And there's no real structured way to learn this stuff, right? Well, how do you do it? You go to Google and you start typing things in and you go down rabbit holes. Um, and that's not efficient, right? We should be better as an industry. So I kind of identified that this was a problem. I also realized I love teaching. I love development. I love education personally. Um, so I wanted to marry those things, right? The need in the market, my kind of passion. And that's how You of Digital was born. So, So that's what we do today for the
1: industry. That's awesome. And it's such a complex industry. um, And it's an ever changing industry. So there's that need for kind of not only education um, on everything that happens now, but a constant evolution of that education as new topics and new technology emerge. Uh, So that's super exciting. We're going to start the way we normally do, uh, which is getting to know you a little bit better with a series of quick fire questions. So firstly, what is your earliest memory of advertising?
0: So I'd say my earliest memory of advertising would probably, like at least what I think of, is probably the Super Bowl, right? So, you know, I remember being a little kid and, you know, ordering pizza and saying like, none of my family watched football growing up, right? I didn't watch football. My sister, my parents, nobody watched football. But we watched the Super Bowl. And, you know, we would turn on the Super Bowl. It was a cultural event in the United States. So you turn on the Super Bowl. You have no clue, like who the teams are, who the players are. I was the one that was kind of getting into like understanding the rules of the game, if anything. But really, the people, like the my family, showed up in front of the TV set to watch the commercials. Right, like that was the big event. What commercials are going to be on? Are they going to be funny? Are they not? Are we let's judge them? Um, and so that to me, I remember like being a, a pretty seminal moment of like, wow this is pretty powerful stuff, right? Like this matters. Culturally, it matters. Uh, so I'd say that's probably my earliest memory of advertising.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to think how big a part of the Super Bowl the commercials are, right? Like when, you know, obviously as a Brit, um, we wake up in the morning and it's, it's all over YouTube. Every article is here's the top uh, adverts. It's all over social and so on and so forth. So it's incredible that, you know, that's the, the lasting uh, thing people remember often about the Super Bowl rather than the game itself, which is which is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And even today, right, like my wife does not care about the game at all, but I'll get her to sit there and watch it with me because she's like, all right, I guess I'll watch the halftime show and I'll watch some of the commercials, you know?
1: Yeah, (laughs) that makes total sense. Yeah, I can completely identify with that, with that approach. Uh, So before you kind of landed in advertising, what did you want to be when you were growing up? What did you want to do when you grew up?
0: yeah so this is not I guess super exciting but you know I, I grew up um, in a family of entrepreneurs right so I grew up my mom was an entrepreneur she ran preschool and daycare businesses my dad you know started a computer repair shop um, you know that where he was like hardware repair for computers and um, and, you know, I saw it even before I got into, uh, you know, running my own company. Like, my sister was, was an entrepreneur as well. And then, my you know, my parents' parents were entrepreneurs. So, I grew up in this family, this culture of entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship was exciting, right? Like, building something was exciting. You know, being creative was exciting. And so, you know, I never really... I wouldn't say I gravitated to anything particular, like in terms of like, oh, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, but I did kind of gravitate to this idea of like, I want to be an entrepreneur at some point, point. Uh, and so um, that's that's kind of that was my focus. And before going into to higher ed, you know, I wanted to do something in the realm that would set me up for entrepreneurship, right? So, you know, I studied economics. Um, you know, I uh, I obviously got into the advertising space, into the business space immediately out of school. So yeah, I'd say entrepreneurship is what got me excited.
1: That's awesome. So was the role at advertising.com, was that your first advertising marketing media job?
0: It was my first job. And yes, it was my first advertising job. And it was actually a really cool job because, you know, they, advertising.com for the people that know it was kind of legendary in the sense that they gave the, the analysts a lot of say, right? And these were kids like me out of college. They gave them a lot of kind of like latitude and say in how the business was run. Um, the the young analysts actually had a lot of say over like the salespeople and the deals they were selling, right? And how to sell them because the economics of that business was crucial it wasn't like we weren't selling deals a lot of times on a cpm basis we were selling cpc and cpa deals where there was risk on both sides on the advertiser side and on the vendor side right so the the, the analysis was crucial in making sure the business was healthy and that was our job so that, that was a really cool experience
1: so what do you think it was about the advertising industry that drew you in initially and then what's kept you involved in it to this day
0: yeah, you know, I think the advertising space. So when I got into it, right, I came in through the tech side, right. And so coming in through the tech side, it was less about like, okay, it's Madison Avenue, it's Mad Men. It's it's, it was less about that. It was more about the uh, the dynamic nature of the space. It was more about the technology and the intricacies of that technology, uh, which was fascinating. It was really interesting. And then just having again, like coming in straight out of college and getting all that responsibility and that latitude to make decisions based on economics and based on numbers and analysis was so exciting right and so you know I think maybe if I came in through an agency I may not have felt that way right but I I, w- I felt fortunate to kind of come in through the tech space uh, of advertising and so you know my whole career I've been on the tech side of the ecosystem I've been on the sell side I've, I've sold the tech now obviously I'm teaching about the tech and so that's what gets me excited it's so Uh, fast paced to your point that you made earlier, it's changing all the time. That's exciting, right? There's a lot of industries that don't evolve as rapidly. And just like having something to learn about all the time, I think is exciting. Um, I also think there's a certain element of like, you know, so, so I think being like, a doctor, right. is so important to society, right. Or being a a teacher. And actually, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of that now, but not really. Um, but those things are so critical to society. There's a certain like frivolousness to the advertising space. I mean, this sounds bad, but I feel, I feel like genuine about this, like that makes it fun and light and easy. Right. And I, I appreciate that. Right. I, and I really appreciate the people that have very serious and heavy jobs, and I appreciate that I don't have to do that necessarily, right? I have something that's a little bit more like whimsical in terms of impact on society. Yes, I understand advertising is important for the eco- uh, the economy and GDP, et cetera, but it is a little bit whimsical, right? So I appreciate that. I enjoy that. I like that. And then marry that to the dynamism of the the space. It's exciting.
1: Yeah, completely. I completely agree. It's, it's an incredibly exciting industry to be in. And I guess in your role at U of Digital, but also from the education perspective, when you meet people who are just first starting out in their career, what advice do you give to those who are just kind of entering into our industry today?
0: Yeah, I'd say a couple things. So first I'd say like, especially early on, I think it's really important to understand the why behind what you're doing. And I I don't think people push hard enough early in their careers, right? To say, wait, hold on, why am I doing it this way? Why are we selling it this way? Why is it set up this way? Why does it work this way, right? And I think like, first of all, that's a muscle that you want to build early in your career, right? Because you're going to use that throughout your career. It's going to help you be smart. It's going to help you elevate yourself, your career, your business, your organization, understanding the why behind the what. So I'd say like having that mentality is crucial, especially early. And then the other thing I'd say kind of playing off of that is start forming opinions really early. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say this is like, I think it's, it's it feels like an obvious thing. Like, oh, of course, have an opinion. Having opinions is hard. It's not easy, right? If you think about it, like the, the example I always use is like when you read the news, right? If you read an article, oh, well, InfoSum is partnering with the trade desk, let's say, right? You read that press release and I'd say nine out of 10 people read the press release and they just keep moving, right? One out of 10 people read the press release and they take a few minutes after reading it to think about it and form an opinion. And that part of it is hard, right? That requires like mental gymnastics. That requires maybe asking some questions, maybe doing some follow-up work and forming that opinion is what separates people. You know, I think again, helps people elevate themselves, elevate their careers, um, impact the business a lot more than the folks that are just kind of going through the motions. So I'd say those are the things that I I would tell young people uh, starting in the space right now.
1: Yeah, I think it makes total sense. And also I think that education piece is so important when it comes to forming those opinions because you need to be able to have an informed opinion um, to create those opinions. So it's incredibly important that we have that kind of education element in there as well. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of education, how would you describe what you do within the media and advertising industry or the media and advertising industry as a whole to a 10 year old?
0: Um, so, you know, this used to be hard for me because <laughs> I was like selling complicated stuff and you know, describing it to a 10-year-old is hard. Um, now it's a lot easier, right? Now, I, hey, I'm a teacher. I teach. Um, I educate. My company educates about a pretty intricate kind of modern, fast-paced, rapidly evolving technology-based topic. And people need that education Because it's changing so fast and that education doesn't exist in primary school. It doesn't exist in uh, even colleges for most intents and purposes. Um, And so, you know, we we help train people and educate people on this crazy industry.
1: And, you know, we are what, 10 minutes into recording this podcast and it's incredibly clear to me just how passionate and excited you are by what you do and what we do as an industry. How do you remain inspired? What inspires you on a daily basis?
0: You know, I I really, what inspires me, I think, is like being around people that are proud to put out quality work, I think, is is what really gets me going, right? Like I like to surround myself with those types of people that are like constantly doing things or, or creating output that like they really care about, they are proud of, right? That, that, that is high quality because they are proud of it. Those people inspire me all the time and they're around us. They're everywhere, right? There's tons of people like that at InfoSum. There's people like that at U of Digital. There's people like that across the industry. Um, and just being around those people gets me going. Right. Um, and so I, I'd say, yeah, I, I'd say that's my inspiration, right? There's, there's always other little micro doses of inspiration, you know, in, in like sports and, and in politics and, you know, in pop culture. But I'd, say like what gets me going every day is the people I'm working with on a, on a regular basis in this industry that are inspiring to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I love about that question is how often the response is about people, because it just shows how important people are to the places we work, the industries we're in, why networking events are so important. It's why, you know, when you go to these events, these advertising industry events, it feels like, we are a community in those moments and we feel like an ecosystem in those moments. Um, And it's just awesome to hear kind of how often people are the inspiration and the driving force behind our industry. And speaking of uh, favorite questions, uh, this one is mine uh, because it always gives me a unique insight into every individual that I get to meet on this podcast. If there was a song that was a soundtrack to your life, what would it be?
0: Uh, so you gave me the questions ahead of time. So I thought of this one, Uh, I had to put some time in. I wasn't like, Oh, I know off the top of my head. I had to think about it. Um, I'd say it would be, here comes the sun by the Beatles. Um, and I'd say that because, uh, it's a very optimistic song, right? It's about how, you know, things, maybe cold and you're coming out of a cold winter, but here comes the sun, you know, and, and the sun's always coming out the next day. And so, uh, I take that mentality. That's my mindset all the time. I'm a glass half full. I'm an optimist. Uh, I think things are going to be great. I think things are going to, to work out fine, you know? So, um, so yeah. And, and I love the Beatles. So there's that.
1: Yeah, it's a great song. You know, it's probably my favorite Beatles song, so I think that's a, a great choice. And we have a uh, Identity Architects uh, playlist on Spotify, so we will add that to the playlist, uh, and people can enjoy that as well. Love it. So we'll move on to some of more kind of media industry topic related questions now. Um, and so, from your perspective, why is what you do at U Digital? Why is education such an important aspect of the media industry as a at large and within organisations?
0: Yeah, so I think that um, education is critical for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, you mentioned this earlier, and we've talked about it a couple times already. The pace of change in our space is accelerating, right? It's only getting more and more complicated. There's new technologies coming out at you know a faster clip all the time. Uh, there's new acronyms, there's new jargon, there's new companies, um, and because of that if you don't evolve rapidly with it, if you don't learn about everything that's going on, you're going to fall behind, right? And so, you know, what's interesting, I I think about this with you of digital all the time. We didn't have a purpose as a company, I'd say like 40, 50 years ago, right? When industries were static for the most part, right? So you think about like old school industries, you think about paper, you think about oil and energy, you know, you think about, um uh, finance, right? So, like a lot of these older industries, once you were in it and you kind of learned it, let's say for the first few years of your career, you knew it, right? And then it was more about how hard do you work, what relationships do you have, maybe how smart you are. That's it. That's what it was about. And so, a company like you of Digital didn't have a place in corporate America, let's say in the '70s and the '80s, right? Now, fast forward. Now, we exist because technology the industry is technology and technology changes really fast. Right. And what's interesting about our existence is like, I don't think most industries, especially like, I mean, media and advertising, obviously, but even other tech industries, right? Like FinTech, energy tech, like a lot of these industries, I don't think have caught on to the idea that you actually need structured education and training about the industry because, you know, we have inertia as a society, right? This whole concept is kind of new, but I think, technology, the rapid pace of change of technology calls for this type of service, right? So I'd say that's number one. Number two is, especially in media and advertising, there's so much convergence nowadays. I mentioned this earlier, right? So, you know, ad tech is converging with martech, right? Um, social is converging with, let's say display, uh, so linear is converging with streaming, right? And so on and on and on, there's all this convergence. And again, I mentioned this earlier, like people live in bubbles, right? Like if you grew up in linear, you're in a linear bubble. You don't understand how to talk about streaming TV and connected TV and all the new measurement solutions and all the different kind of jargon associated with that space. And how do you learn it? Right. You go, you go start Googling things, you go down a rabbit hole. Right. So we exist because we want to help people solve for the pace of change. We want to help people solve for the fact that, you know, there's a lot of convergence. You know, I was at CES and I heard this constantly as a theme in my meetings at CES, which is companies, have done a great job of evolving their products into new areas, right? Okay, well, if you're a linear TV company, now you're doing this cool stuff with CTV. Now you're using a clean room. you know. Now you're using an ID solution. Cool, awesome. You've evolved your product. Have you evolved your people, right? Most companies are like, oh my God, we did all this cool stuff. We built all these cool products, but our people are still stuck in the stone age, right? How do we evolve our people? And so that's the problem we're trying to solve, which I think is a massively important um thing for our space to help the industry grow and then specifically for organizations for them to get a competitive edge
1: yeah i think that's i think that's so spot on um and it's such an important aspect of what we do and it's the only way We can all stay competitive as individuals as organizations to kind of feel that kind of constant awareness of everything that's going on around us and not to kind of get stuck in because even as you talk about different industries and different areas of expertise even as a company you can get stuck in your own bubble and only thinking about what's going on in your world to have that kind of more holistic understanding of here's what everyone else is dealing with a it's just a good awareness piece but also could unlock new opportunities for you when you realize there's different use cases different applications for your technology and so on and so forth so it's just such an important aspect of, I think, of what we do is that kind of constant education and constant questioning of kind of, again, going back to what you were saying earlier about the why. Why are we doing the things yep. we're doing the way we're doing them?
0: Yeah, and it's not a unique challenge, right? So most of the companies that we talk to in the space, they all say the same type of stuff, right? They're, they say, listen, we're very inward facing, right? We're very myopic. We only think about our world we're not looking outside enough, right? Uh, oh, when we, we when we need to learn some about these things, uh, about some of these things, we'll tap somebody internally to try to like be a subject matter expert and train their entire kind of company on on that topic, right? So it's constant. That's the same themes over and over again, and it, it kind of leads all roads roads lead back to kind of like you of digital can provide a lot of value to these companies by bringing external voice, right? Kind of scaling knowledge in a in a very holistic, um, engaging kind of way where people actually not only can learn, but they can enjoy that process. So, so yeah, I can keep going and going about this, but we can can keep moving.
1: Yeah, no, it's so important. I think, you know, you digital is clearly doing a fantastic job of educating the industry and organizations within it. But one of the things I'm consistently struck by is that the average consumer likely has no awareness of the role they play on a daily minute by minute basis, realistically within Mm -hmm. our industry. So what role do consumers play in that education piece? Who's responsible for educating them on how their data is used and that value exchange that we all know exists between consumers and brands and media owners?
0: Yeah, this is a tough one, right? Because I, I don't think there's like, there's not a right answer, obviously. Um, there, there's a lot of hypotheses and thoughts. You know, I think consumers are obviously critical. They they form the industry, right? Their behaviors and, and what they do kind of form the industry and what we, what we do um, in order to, to reach them, right? So I think it's important to bring them into the conversation. I also think it's important to have a delicate kind of balance between like oversharing um, and kind of like bombarding. Like, so for example, right? the whole idea of the, the pop-ups nowadays, right? Like the, the consent pop-ups. I think it's I think it's a bit much and, and I don't think consumers care enough to read what's going on um, about some of that stuff. And so I think it's important to like, yes, to be able to talk about the value exchange and be able to get consumers into the, the conversation, but do so in a really thoughtful, concise, easy to understand way. And I think we fail at that over and over and over again, right? If anybody, if anything, right? I think Apple has done a fantastic job of bringing them into the conversation, but in a way that is, let's say to the detriment of all of Apple's competitors, conveniently, um, and in a way that obviously gives them a huge advantage. And in a way, I think that's a bit misleading, right? Uh, and so I think it's important for like the industry to kind of look at Apple and say, well, Apple has been able to effectively communicate with the consumer and bring them into the conversation. How do we all do that as well, right? Uh, and so, you know, I think, I'm going to say it, like, I think Google has done a poor job, right? So Google in particular, you know, they're kind of following in Apple's footsteps as it pertains to privacy. You know, I saw some of the screenshots or, and I even got the message myself, like when Google started to do some of the privacy sandbox stuff, the cookie deprecation stuff in the last few months, the messaging to the consumer is not well done. It's not well done, right? Consumer sees it. The first thing they think about is like, oh, this is what Apple is warning me about. I got it. Like Google's, this is bad news. If anything, Google's actually trying to help and like be in the same kind of mold as Apple, but they're turning consumers off by messaging it poorly. Right. So I think it's, it's incumbent on big tech. You know, big tech has the dollars and the muscle. We've seen it with Apple. Like Apple is the biggest advertiser in the world, right? That's why they've gotten consumers to kind of latch onto this, this idea of like privacy is critical. Other big tech needs to kind of follow in their footsteps and maybe tell tell a more, let's say, honest message, right, or, or send a more honest message. And so, I think that's critical. And then, obviously, it's incumbent upon all of us, right? Smaller companies like like us, like you guys, like uh, other clean room tech that's in the space, other ID solutions. Everybody needs to start communicating effectively with the consumer. But I also think it's important to realize, like, it's unrealistic sometimes to expect a smaller company to make a big impact as it pertains to like talking to the consumer. And so, I do think like big tech is is you know, in the spotlight right now, like big tech needs to do a better job and government, I think, needs to do a better job. Um, the IAB needs to do a better job of like talking to the consumer, but doing it in a concise way where they kind of understand what what's at stake. They can make thoughtful kind of decisions. They can give consent and they can move move forward.
1: Yeah, I think it's so important as well to your point around. Kind of who's controlling that narrative right it's you know consumers don't need to i would argue consumers don't need to know the very all the ins and outs of the programmatic advertising industry they need to understand to a certain level that there's a reason all this stuff is free for us on the internet there's a reason all these social media platforms are quote-unquote free to us on the on the internet and it's because there is a value exchange happening and therefore they have a role to play but they Need to be treated in a privacy-first way that controls their data, that protects their data, protects their interests, and then we, as the advertising industry, commit to do that in exchange for that that value exchange, which we've touched on. Yeah, totally agree. And obviously, as we said, that you know, consumers don't need to understand every aspect of the industry, but you know, even us within the industry, it's an incredibly complex world. Uh, it's ever changing, and there's a lot going on. So, which aspect of the industry do you feel is still s- shrouded in mystery and complexity? and therefore needs further education? Well,
0: first of all, clean rooms, right? I think clean rooms are like pretty confusing for people, right? So like you live it and you breathe it. So you understand it. But, you know, we're, we're dealing with learners all the time, right? These are frontline salespeople, account folks, engineers, product people. You'd be surprised, right? You get into a room in this industry, the average room, you ask people, what is a clean room and what does it do? 80, 90% of people still don't know. Right, and so I'd say that's the forefront. We're actually launching a course soon in the next couple of weeks. Just data cleanroom fundamentals. Right, it's a couple of hours. Take it online. It's multimedia. There's a certification. Just so people can understand the what, like how does it work? What are the use cases? Why is it important for the future of the space? What gaps does it close? How is it different from you know an ID solution or from database matching or you know anything that we've done in the past? So cleaners, first and foremost. I'm on an InfoSum podcast, so I got to say. That's one of the, the most confounding topics. And we get a lot of demand for it, right? Uh, a lot of learners are asking, like, please teach me about clean rooms. So I'd say that's that's the top of the list. We have a lot of demand for CTV, just like understanding the emerging kind of aspects of streaming television you know, and and whether that's measurement, whether that's, you know, ACR data and where that data comes from and how it's used, um, whether that's just like understanding content endpoints and licensing, understanding the ad pod, understanding server side ad insertion. It's all very nascent and changing and confusing and different, let's say from like traditional digital advertising. So that's another kind of hot topic. Now we're getting a lot of demand for retail media, right? So help us understand retail media, commerce media, help us understand kind of the players in the space, help us understand the nuances of that space, how it's measured, you know, where the data lives, identity and privacy, obviously kind of wrapped up with clean rooms. Um, I'd also say uh, another area, obviously, that everyone wants to learn about is AI. And that's more nascent than everything, right? So that one is changing every day. There's always new tools. It's actually really hard to train people on AI, because training on one day, you know, may be completely stale the next day. Um, And so that's something that we're trying to figure out, like, how do we create the right kind of approach to training on something that's so nascent and changing so fast. But yeah, I'd say those are some of the hot areas of the space
1: yeah so just a few topics then that clearly uh we need to <laughs> we need to do a good job and it's great to hear obviously the upcoming kind of uh data cleanroom program that i know you guys are putting together at u of digital um and so you know it's it's exciting to see how much in from our you know from a selfishly from an info perspective it's exciting to see how much interest there is and how much appetite there is for cleanroom education it's just the kind of an example of how quickly that clean room space is being adopted Um, But to your point, because it's not necessarily a replacement for something we've done in the past, it's kind of a different way of understanding. It's a looking at the world of data collaboration as a concept, rather than the way the connectivity and the way that the industry has worked previously. And kind of to that point, one of the common themes that comes up in lots of the conversations that we have on this podcast with lots of different industry leaders is this idea of collective responsibility and collaboration for how we rebuild the industry for a better future. How are you seeing the rise of collaboration manifesting within the media industry?
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say, you know, data collaboration is, is obviously critical, right? Um, Because as third party cookies go away, I I know we're probably going to talk about this later, but as third party cookies go away, as traditional signals kind of fade away, I think the world is going from like, okay, well, here's just a massive pool of data and you pick and choose what you want from that pool uh, and you do what you please with it. I think we're moving towards a world where you have to be very surgical, right? About what data sets you want to use, how you want to use them. And then you have to, to figure out how to get your hands on that data, right? Or match the data. Uh, and so we're kind of moving from this like world of, let's say data, um, data ubiquity, right? Um, to a world of like data silos, um, and in that world, in a world of data silos, collaboration is critical, right? Cause data, you know, if it's super siloed, if it lives, you know, data sets just live on their own, there's only so much you can do with them. You need to be able to mix and match as you need. Uh, and so data collaboration is critical. Now I would say what we're seeing right now is people are starting to catch on, but it still feels early, right? Like people are still like, I still have cookies right now. I'm still doing stuff with them. I still have maids. I still am using IP address. I feel like I still live in a little bit of a, a world of data ubiquity, um, and so like that that moment hasn't come yet. That that D Day hasn't come, and maybe that D Day is going to come later this year, right? Um, if and when Google deprecates the third party cookie, maybe it won't. Right? Maybe it'll take even more time. You know, we have inertia. I mentioned as an industry, and so, um, but what I am seeing is people are starting to recognize, starting to get ahead of it. The the pioneers of the space realize that data collaboration is important. And so they're starting to test, right? They're starting to work with tools like InfoSum to get ahead of that. Um, but I still feel it's it's early, right? Again, like we we get exposed to a lot of different types of learners, buyers, sellers, agencies, etc. And what we find is they're also like, do I wait? Do I do I need this yet? Do I what is this? You know, and that's that's part of the reason the education for clean rooms is not there is because people haven't necessarily realized the need, right? so they're not motivated to go out and learn about it. So um, that's kind of what we're seeing. It's a little it feels a little early days.
1: Yeah, and I think to your point, you know, a lot of people will wait until the last possible minute to kind of finally, finally move away from third party cookies. Um but you know, it does feel like the people, you know, as you say the pioneers in the industry are real recognizing that this is this is happening whether it happens this year, whether it happens in next year or the year after. Mm-hmm. It's now a foregone conclusion. We are heading to a world where that won't exist. And so, as a brand and as a media owner, you know, you're only delaying your own ability to innovate and exist in the future by kind of waiting for that kind of final D-Day, as you put it. So, it's incredibly interesting to see how different people approach it um, within the industry. And one of the things I think we are seeing as a result of that kind of third-party cookie deprecation is how the industry is evolving and how we're seeing different markets and technologies. Converge. We've talked about connected TV and retail media converging. We talked about the the rise of AI and commerce media. Um, And these obviously present a lot of challenges, but they can also be seen as opportunities for our industry and for different businesses to grow. So how are you seeing organizations approaching that kind of emerging new opportunities?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think companies are for the most part, thoughtfully figuring out how to take their core, kind of DNA and their core value prop and figure out how to thoughtfully get into the new adjacent areas, right. That are important for their growth and for their customers. Right. So, you know, again, let's say if you're a, um, let's say if you're an ad tech company, right. And you're, you're, partners are using data in a major way and data, data collaboration is becoming more and more important. Well, is the ad tech company properly integrating with that customer's MarTech stack, right? To start enabling interesting and different use cases with that data. Um, And so I think, Certain companies are doing it better than others, but I think for the most part, companies are thoughtfully thinking about the adjacent areas that they need to get into in order to bring more value to their customers, right? Now, again, I'll, I'll harken back to what I heard at CES. Companies are doing this well, right? They're evolving their products into new areas. What they fail to recognize is how do we evolve our people, right? And so that's where we're seeing like a lot of roadblocks for these companies. Like, you know, I'll give you in a specific example a couple of years ago, we were working with a very traditional linear TV um, uh, publisher, right? And they were doing all sorts of really cool stuff in the connected TV space, right? Because they also had a streaming offering and they had tons of cool um, integration set up. They had a clean room set up. Um, you know, they were doing tons of stuff. But the business wasn't growing. The business wasn't kind of like growing into streaming effectively. And the reason it wasn't growing is because people on the front lines had inertia, right? They were fearful of moving into something new. They, they knew what they knew and they didn't want to kind of change into the new into the new era, right? And so that's the big stumbling block that we're seeing. And companies are now starting to catch on to it, right? And that's again, that's why we're getting a lot of interest, a lot of demand, a lot of conversations going because people are trying to solve the how do we evolve our people? problem
1: yeah yeah and you mentioned kind of stumbling blocks and kind of challenges that at times the industry faces and one of the big topics and challenges i think that's been kind of throughout kind of across the headlines over the last few months has been the idea of ad fraud Mm -hmm. um, and the kind of the emergence of that within our the programmatic ecosystem specifically how can we as an industry tackle ad fraud and create more trust within the ecosystem and with within the players that are part of that ecosystem
0: Yeah. So I think this, this is tough, right? So ad fraud is not a new problem, right? We've had it for ever, ever since digital came around and, you know, digital creates a lot of opportunities for bad actors to come in and and take advantage of the system. Right. Um, and do so in a, in a way where they're behind the scenes and it's hard to catch them. Um, and so, you know, I I'd say there's like, there's, there's a few things here. First of all, there's always, you know, I'd say, um, there's always proxy solutions to fix the problem. I don't know if that's the right term, but, uh, there's always like, okay, well let's, uh, use third party verification more, you know, like let's be more transparent, right? Let's share more between buyers and sellers. So there's that level of trust. Now I don't think, I think those things are good solutions, but I do think they're a bit removed from actually getting to the heart of the, the problem. Right. And the heart of the problem, and you know, I'm not, this is not a novel take. Like everybody says this, the heart of the problem is, is the incentive structure of our industry, right? The incentives across the board are not really um, in favor of like, okay, well, let's eradicate fraud, right? The incentives a lot of times are like, let's drive great metrics that honestly, like the metrics are kind of shoddy. A lot of times it's click-based, it's, you know, view-based metrics, it's it's whatever, like the, the market is measuring at that, that time. And so I think like, listen, I think the industry has done a better job. Like we're doing a good job of evolving the metrics. We have to keep that up, right? We have to push harder on getting to the root of like incrementality and getting to the root of like what ads are actually working, what our ads aren't and why. Because whenever, when we have flawed metrics, that's what enables bad actors to come in and game the system and do so in a way where no one cares, right? Everyone's like, okay, cool. My metrics look good, you know? Um, And so I think that, that is the the heart of the problem, um, and again, there's no easy answer here or solution. I'd say to fixing the metrics problem, uh, it's just like you got We got to keep doing the work. I was talking to a reporter recently about this, where you know she was asking me about like, okay, well, we had viewability, and like now we have attention metrics. Um, you know, is this is this a good thing? Like, are are we just like kind of? are we doing whack-a-mole right are we covering up one problem and moving to another problem and my answer to that was like yes right we are playing whack-a-mole but i think we're playing whack-a-mole in a way that's demonstrating progression because i mean if you think about it right like when we started tracking viewability before we tracked viewability people were just like running ads where humans couldn't see the ads right and bad actors were gaming that Along comes viewability to kind of close that loophole. And we got better, right? The industry got better because of it, right? But then all of a sudden, you know, we saw in the last year the rise of MFA sites. Everyone's talking about MFA. Well, MFA is doing really well because the ads are highly viewable, right? So the bad actors came in and they were like, we're going to game the viewability metric. And now we're playing whack a mole and we're saying, okay, well, let's close that loophole. Viewability is not great. Well, now we need to focus on attention. And hey, you know what? Guess what? In a few years, some bad actors are going to come in and figure out how to game attention, right? And we're going to have to whack a mole attention and start something new up. But all of this, I think, is demonstrating progression, right? Like we're getting closer and closer and closer to the truth. And I think what's important to recognize, like we can't stop doing that work, right? We can't get like um frustrated and we can't feel like oh well this is futile because we are demonstrating progression. The industry has gotten better from having no viewability to having viewability to now having attention to then hopefully you know now we're testing incrementality a lot more thoughtfully. We're getting better and better and better. Let's keep that good work up cuz that's what's going to help us eventually get rid of fraud. And and listen, I think the reality is we're never going to get rid of it, right? It's a digital ecosystem like Again, digital is exposed in that way to bad actors, but we can continue to get better and better and better. And in order to do that, we have to stick to it. We have to kind of continue to do the good work.
1: Yeah, I think it's super important to also recognize that, you know, it can often feel like you're in a spiral and that we're going round and round and kind of playing whack-a-mole to your point. But as long as that spiral is going up and not down, then at least we're making progression and we're actually heading to a better place Um, and a better kind of way of having the industry. And I think one of those other topics that can sometimes feel like we are having a little bit of Groundhog Day is cookies, right? And the third party cookie. Um, I think we're all incredibly sick of seeing cookies all over our um, social platforms, images of cookies everywhere we look. But in theory, we are in that kind of final countdown to third party cookie deprecation. How well, from all the organizations that you obviously deal with at U of Digital, to all the conversations you've had at CES and other sorts of industry events, how well do you feel the industry is prepared for this? And what advice would you give to organizations that are maybe not yet future-proofed against that cookie future?
0: Yeah, I'd say a few things. So first of all, I don't think we're well-prepared. Um, I will say I've been really encouraged in the last month or so by seeing how many people are are talking about testing new solutions about you know privacy sandboxes obviously heating up and people are testing it a lot more and and, and experimenting with it so that's been very promising uh, I'd say and it's the first time it's felt that way I'd say like a year ago I felt like we were way less prepared and we're a tiny bit better now right we've made some some progress now what I, my advice to to the industry is you know we are in a great moment of uncertainty you know I've said this a lot you know I'll just reiterate it because I still believe it there's a lot of uncertainty still associated with the end state of, of addressability in our industry. Right. Um, Yes. Cookies are going away. We still don't know, you know, whether Google will change the timing. Like we still, there's still some uncertainty associated with that. I think that uncertainty is dwindling, but there's still some uncertainty associated with it. But the problem is like, we just focus on cookies. It's not just about cookies, as you know, right? It's about all the other traditional identifiers. There was a big kind of bombshell a few months ago about Google starting to deprecate IP address uh, on their own and operated properties within Chrome. Um, Apple obviously introduced something called Private Relay a couple of years ago, which same idea, it's obfuscating IP address. So IP is going away, most likely. Uh, mobile device IDs are going away, as we know. Um, and other IDs are just, you know, they are they're on the way out. Now, the uncertainty stems from, I'd say, two forces. One is Apple and Google. There's always new things coming from those companies, right? You know, I, I mentioned, I referenced the IP piece from Google a few months ago. Apple's in every release; they're putting out something new, you know. Um, and so we don't know what the end state of those platforms are as it pertains to privacy. Uh, we also don't know the end state of regulation, right? So in the U.S. in particular, there's no federal privacy regulation yet, and there's none on the horizon. If and when that that comes. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what's going to what it's going to stipulate. We don't know how it's going to evolve from like some of the other current like state level privacy regulation. So, what my long story short, we're in a great moment of uncertainty because those two forces, like we don't know what their end states are going to be, big tech and and government. Um, and because of that, you know, I, I always like to make the analogy to the stock market, right, or or to finance. In any great moment of uncertainty. In the stock market, what do you advise to do? What do you advise to do? You're advised to diversify, right? You're advised to hedge, right? And so that is my advice to the industry as it pertains to identity and addressability. You should be diversifying your approach right now because you don't know. Like you may be, if you put all your eggs into a ID solution that heavily uses IP address, well, that I that identity solution may not work so well six months or a year from now, right? Or if you put your, all your eggs into a deterministic basket where they just use email address, right? And get consent, like that sounds cool right now, but who knows a year from now, there could be federal privacy legislation that regulates that out, right? And so if I were a marketer or really any company in the space, a vendor, I'd be diversifying my approach. I'd also not, I wouldn't put too much lift into any one solution, right? It's the idea of diversification, right? Why am I like investing a ton of money and resources into going into one solution or testing it? I want light solutions that I can test pretty turnkey. I want solutions that can impact my business today, right? As opposed to like aspirational solutions that tell me, Hey, if, and when these five things happen, then our solution will be great. I want to stay away from that. So I want to diversify. I want light lift solutions. And I want to be nimble, right? As things change, I want to be able to change course as well and be adaptable um, because we're in a great moment of uncertainty, right? As it pertains to to privacy and addressability.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things you're kind of touching on there is this idea of organizations can take their own destiny into their own hands. Like We all are obviously waiting for what Google do, where they deprecate their product cookies. We're all waiting to see what Apple might do and and, federal laws and so on and so forth. But actually, we can take our own destiny into our own hands and recognize we need to, as you say, test and learn and iterate these solutions that are out there now. By doing that now, you're set up when, if and when those kind of end states do happen and you're not trying to play catch up at the last second.
0: Yeah. And to that point, right, what you shouldn't do is kick the can down the road,
1: right? And be like, oh, well, this
0: is too confusing and it's overwhelming. Instead of doing something about it, I'm going to get paralyzed. I'm not going to do anything, right? That's what we should not do. I think, you know, again, back to the idea of uncertainty. In any great moment of uncertainty, the people that are strategic and creative and ahead of the curve are the ones that come out on top, right? Not the ones that get paralyzed by the uncertainty, right? So in this moment, now more than ever, you need a strategy as opposed to like, well, I don't know what to do, you know, so I'm not going to do anything.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we touched on the fact that we've had this kind of Groundhog Day moment around Cookie deprecation and so on and so forth. Let's assume that a, a year from now, when you're attending CES 2025, cookies have finally been deprecated. And, you know, we all have to find new subjects for our events and for our articles and so on and so forth. What do you think is that next big topic that will dominate headlines and events within ad tech?
0: Well, you know, I think, unfortunately, I think it's going to be still about this, right? It's it's gonna be about, but it's gonna be about this in a more productive way, right? It's gonna be more about the solutions and what's working and what's not, the experimentation, data collaboration tools, right? I think will come to the forefront um you know and so i think companies like infosum have an awesome opportunity at at ces i mean obviously you have a great opportunity now but you know next year your opportunity becomes that much bigger because it, there's going to be a forcing function right it's coming uh and so i think you know next year we're going to be going in talking more about how the tools are working who's doing well who's not um you know integrations and partnerships uh, I think it's gonna be a lot more of that unless like oh the cookie is the cookie is going away right it's that's gonna be in the rear view mirror right so I'd say that's the short term I think I mean listen I think long term I think the industry um, hopefully will get refocused on on marketing to a certain extent right like get refocused on great creative get refocused on you know doing a great job um with uh with planning right and and strategy the 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 thing it always comes back to data right and so like we're never we're never going away from that headline right data is always going to be the headline but i think you know right now there's there's a fear aspect to that headline hopefully next year there'll be more of like a an optimism headline right uh or, or an optimism feeling to that headline and you know full circle you know here comes the sun right like i hope that's where we're going
1: yeah, I love that. And that's an that's an awesome way to kind of uh, finish off those kind of sections on questions. Is there anything we've touched on a lot? And it's been great to kind of pick your brains on all these topics. Is there any topic that we haven't touched on that you feel like we should anything you want to add before we kind of wrap things up?
0: I mean, again, we could talk for hours and hours about this stuff,
1: uh, Ben, but
0: you know, listeners have a finite amount of time. So let's spare them. I think we're good.
1: That's awesome. Well, I appreciate so much you being on the podcast. This podcast is all about meeting and spotlighting pioneers like yourself who are improving the way that data-driven advertising in our ecosystem works. So when you look to people that you admire within the industry, when you look within your network, is there anyone you would nominate for us to interview on an upcoming episode of Identity Architects?
0: So Jay Sears, uh, you know, ex-adtech exec. So he was uh, one of the founding members, I think, of the Rubicon project. Um, And he's just been in the space for a long time on the commercial side. Um, He now runs an organization that's near and dear to our hearts at U of Digital called Team Daya. Um, And Team Daya basically aggregates um, a bunch of uh, ad tech execs that are passionate about teaching and learning and development and about doing good. Um, And what they do is they go around the world and they build schools for kids that don't have access to a primary school, like in impoverished areas around the world. Um, and it's cool because it's a bunch of ad tech people like going to Nicaragua, going to Malawi, going to Nepal. They're just on these builds all the time. And so we, we contribute to that organization a lot. Um, so I'd say maybe Jay Sears would be an awesome person that inspires me that you could bring onto this podcast next.
1: That's an awesome nomination. We will definitely reach out to them and, uh, and get them on the pod. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you so much for kind of providing such thoughtful and thought provoking insight into what's going on in the industry. It's a rapidly evolving world so clearly the role of you of digital is incredibly important, um, but really appreciate your time and appreciate you being on the podcast.
0: Yeah. Thanks for having me on Ben. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks again to Shiv for joining us on Identity Architects. You know, we work in an incredibly complex and ever-changing industry. So it's super important that we continue to educate ourselves on the latest trends, emerging media opportunities, and the ever-growing list of acronyms. So I really appreciate the work Shiv and you of digital are doing. All that leaves me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects drops. But until then, thanks for listening.